Good morning. Thank you for coming. Long weekend. And somebody reminded me it's a long, long weekend. So I really appreciate you being here. I thought I'd be speaking just to my wife and my daughter. That's great. It's great to be here in the house of the Lord, opening up his word and hearing a communication from the Lord himself. November 2018, that's where we're at. How did we get here so fast? November. Cup Day is a, is a crisis point for me because it's very close to the finish of the year and usually I'm behind in my work schedule and I have promised people to have their bathrooms or laundries or whatever ready for Christmas. So I always get panicky, a bit sweaty around Cup Day because there's not many more weeks to go. And for your information, ladies, 49 days from today, shopping days left. That takes you right up to Christmas Day. Can you believe that there are people that shop for Christmas presents on on, um, New Year's Eve? Christmas Eve, that's right. So there's 49 shopping days and I've got two bathrooms to do before the end of the year. I sat upstairs in the study uh, on Friday. I just finished a job on Friday and thinking, will I have enough time to finish these two jobs? And I've worked it out. If absolutely nothing goes wrong, there's a good chance I'll get it finished. I might have to work a few Saturdays, I think. But life's a bit like that, isn't it? It just goes on. No matter what, no matter what your circumstances you find yourself in, whether people are, uh, you know, are sick or having babies, things just have to keep on going, and life goes on. And quite often, people find themselves saying, even Christians saying, what? It's next. What is going to happen next? I'm not going to tell you about my last two weeks, but I have had that thought and have cried out a number of times, what now, Lord? Ever had a week or a period in your life like that? Maybe this year's been like that. We're going to look at Psalm 25 this morning and we're not going to have a, an exposition of the psalm. We're going to look at David who wrote this psalm. Very quickly look at David and his life and his uh, similarities to your life and mine. Now David, we know, wrote 76 psalms. That's 50.4% of the psalms. I actually took time to work that out. That's a lot of psalms. You know, and quite often people think he wrote all of them, but he didn't. We know that because our brother Rob Freeman a couple of years ago went through the book of psalms with us and showed us all these things. And you know, the, the psalms that we have written here by David, they're not in chronological order either. For example, Psalm 3 tells us it's about his time and problems that he had with Absalom. David's Psalms are, uh, are found in all five books. Remember, we were told that the Psalms was divided up in five sections, five books. 
And they're all through the five books, all 76 of them. And they have various themes. A lot of them lack background information as to why it was written at what time and what were the circumstances. And 13 actually share detailed settings. So, so they're a very interesting study, the Book of Psalms. But it's more the man who wrote the Psalms that I'd like to focus on this morning, David. Now our home group is studying David, who he is. Most people know who David is. If I said David, what's the first word that comes after that? David and Goliath. Yeah, that's right, David and Goliath. Some of you may know that he was the king of Israel, the second king of Israel, King David. And if you're a Bible scholar, you know that sometimes it didn't go all that well for David and you think of David and Bathsheba. But whatever you think about David, he was a major Bible character mentioned over 900 times, which is just just under the the number of times the Lord Jesus is mentioned. So why do we have David's thoughts, his feelings, his emotions, his experiences recorded for us in the Bible? Why Why do we have that? Of all the Bible characters, of all the people that have lived all these centuries, thousands of years, this man is highlighted by God. Ever stopped and thought about that? Now we know David was a shepherd, literally looked after the little sheep and he shepherded his nation. We know he was a poet. That's what the Psalms are. They're like poems that were sung. We know he was a giant killer. We learned that from when we were little, if we go to church. We know he was a king. He was a great warrior, a great soldier, military man. And we know, and we've been reminded this morning, that he is an ancestor of Jesus Christ, the Saviour. Makes him sound like a really special person. Super nice, talented gifted but if you read the scriptures and the story of David is from uh, Samuel right through to Kings you also read that he is a betrayer a liar an adulterer a murderer and a very weak father and more People criticise God and they criticise the Bible, but you know here we have God, and, and through His Word, He makes no effort to hide David's failures or his weaknesses, and yet God also takes the makes the makes the uh, effort to to remember him for his greatness. God marks him as a man after his own heart. That's an amazing phrase when you think about it. A man after God's own heart. 
There's, there's all sorts of dictionaries, you know. There's dictionaries of idioms, and this is an idiom apparently. So I looked it up. That little phrase, a man after my own heart, the expression after one's own heart describes a person whose hobbies or beliefs match, match those of another person. So what was God saying about David? He was saying that David, his heart matches my heart. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? It's only mentioned about David. And when Saul, when King Saul had failed, failed the nation as a leader, when he'd failed God as the, as the leader of his nation, he said in 1 Samuel that he's going to be looking for a new king. He's going to be looking for a man who was after his own heart. And it's mentioned again in, in, in the New Testament in the book of Acts. You know, of all the things they could have said in Acts about, about David, you know, the, the thing to highlight about David, this is what it was. David is the man after mine own heart. David's life is on record in Scripture because he's an ordinary man, just like you and me, an ordinary human being. He's also there because he's an example of, of growth and maturity in a believer's life. That's why it's there. That's why so much is written about him. He's an example of the right relationship a person can have with God. That's why it's worth the study. It's worth putting the time and effort into looking at David's life. That's why there are so many books that written about David. It's worth the study to be in the right relationship with God. And David is also uh, written about because he's an example of God's relationship with a believer. Don't, if you look at David's life, don't, don't miss that. Don't miss how God interacts with David in all those circumstances that he finds himself in. Just like he, he interacts with me during the last two weeks. They've been tough. Not as tough as some people have had. Now keeping this in mind, these things in mind, let's consider some of the similarities between you, me and, and David. First of all, the first thing you learn about David is that he's chosen by God. And if, you, and if you've been into Sunday school at any stage and, 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 or you know, you've, you've done any Bible studies, you know that David was chosen from a family whose, whose, whose father was Jesse and he had seven other brothers and, and David was the youngest and he had oil poured on his head by Samuel and he was told to be he was he was told that he was chosen to be the next king of Israel a little shepherd boy he wasn't even in the house when Samuel turned up fascinating story love it David was chosen Colossians 3:12 you and I are God's chosen people think about that 
First Peter 1 and 12, it says, Chosen, that's you and me, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Just like David. In First Peter chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, I won't read it all because I have to refer to it again in another passage. It says, but you, talking about believers, and to us this morning, you are, cho- are chosen people, a royal priesthood. So that's the first thing that you have to notice. We're chosen just like David was. And David was chosen with a clear purpose to be the to be the king of Israel and the leader of God's people. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty. It says there we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, I could take a whole Sunday morning talking about that. But you just think about that. It says that that we, you and I, are Christ's ambassadors. Now, an ambassador is a very important position and they represent a country, a nation, an interest. But in this case, it says it's as if God, through us, is making his appeal making himself known, making the gospel known through us. You couldn't have a more specific purpose than that. But there's another, there's another part of our purpose in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. God's special, special possession that you may declare, declare the praises of him. So we have a twofold purpose just like David. Now, you know, I feel sorry sometimes for David because, you know, I've just been reading it lately, the the circumstances in Samuel. And while he was chosen and given a clear purpose, there wasn't an awful lot of detail given to David. You've got to be the king. Yes. And that was it. That's all God told him. And as you read through this psalm, you discover that there was a a steep learning curve for for David. In Psalm 25, uh, verses 4 and 5, he looks back and he reflects on the fact that he had to be shown how God wanted his country to be led, his nation to be led. He had to be taught the paths that they had to take. And in verse 8, it says there, that, that he had to instruct. He had to instruct them. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and we've been looking a lot in Ephesians the last few weeks, haven't we? But do you remember this verse? It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do. Have you got that? To do. Good works which Christ prepared for us in advance to do. That we've got a clear purpose and we've been chosen to do a certain thing. And have you noticed that that little verse, very scant on details, isn't it? Yeah, we've been chosen 
and we're God's handiwork and we're to do good works and they've been prepared for advance, but what are they? Do you struggle with that? I struggle with that. What is the work that God wants me to do specifically? It comes, doesn't it? In your daily walk, as you, as you struggle through the experiences of life, just like David, you have to learn, you have to be instructed, you have to be taught. Do you see, can you see the similarities? I don't know about you, I get excited when I see things like this. And then we read and we see about David the uncertainty in his life. He had doubts. Did he have doubts? In in verses 9 and 10 here, he talks about about how how he had to rely on the Lord, how the the Lord had to guide him. You know, think think about David as he was being hunted. That's what it was, hunted by Saul, the king. Bad enough that he threw a javelin at him one stage, but he was actually hunted to be killed by the king, God's anointed. He had to spend years running, hiding in caves. There's an, there's an occasion we read about, it's recorded for us, that they, they had no food to eat. They had to go and eat the, uh, the bread in the temple. What about Absalom? Can we appreciate what it would be like to have your son try to end your life so he could take your position? What was what was David thinking at that time? What, what was his body, what were his prayers like? What was his faith in God like? I'm sure he had doubts. And what about his wife? Uh, Michael, you know, he thought he thought he was on a good thing there when he killed uh, Goliath. He was going to get a daughter of the king to marry. The consequences of his actions, we read a lot about that. Yeah, he took a census in the in the land. That seems like a pretty innocuous sort of thing to do, but it's not what God wanted. He suffered the consequences for that. You know, you, you, you go through life thinking you're doing the right thing. But have you, ever, have you ever said this? Why do these things happen to us? Why am I in this situation? Why is the Lord doing this to me? As we were going through Ephesians the last few weeks, we got to chapter 4, talked about unity and division, I was thinking about us here at Monty, me being one of the elders here, the struggles that we're having with our leadership and things like that. And I read what God intends. And I've shared this with a few people here. I don't know. I really don't know. I have no idea what we should do. I'll be honest with you. Just like David. David. Oil put on the head. God chose him, picked him to be the king. Read his story. Read his story. And then we get to the errors that David made, the big mistakes. He sinned. He admits that he sinned. And he says there, doesn't he, in um, verse 11, uh, for my iniquity, it's great. They were big sins. 
He just didn't tell a little lie. He killed somebody. He stole another man's wife. Big stuff. But the thing about David's errors, he never made them twice. His repentance was always genuine. And he learned from his mistakes. Again, I was challenged by our study with Nathan in um, Ephesians where he talked about the word walk being the word like the word life or live. It's no coincidence that I picked this psalm because in Psalm 25 the word way or, or, or another word for that is live occurs five times. It talks about how we should live, the paths, the ways we should take. And I was challenged in Ephesians chapter 4 because not always have I been completely humble and gentle. Not always have I matured as I should have and taken up the responsibility that I, that I was, should have taken. And in verse 14, it says there, living as the Gentiles or, or wishing to, you know, Sometimes I looked out and I thought, I'm envious of the Gentiles, of the unbeliever. That's terrible. That's a terrible thing to do. And I'm ashamed that I did that. Verse 25. Putting off, not putting off what God has shown me that I need to put off. Wrath, get rid of that. And I've resisted. And I've said, no, I, I like that. I don't want to. And don't, don't get me wrong, it's not necessarily a bad, evil, sinful thing that we're talking about. But it's something that I know the Lord wanted me to put off because he had something else for me to put on. But I resisted. Just like David. He made an error. In verse, chapter 5, verse 1, it said, Be imitators of God. I've spoken so much about that. I've preached on it. I love it. I believe it. But at times I've failed to do it. I'm just like David. I'm human. Not an excuse. It's a fact. And then chapter 5 verse 16 where it talks about, in Ephesians this is of course not, not this one, where it talks about making the most of every opportunity brothers and sisters I have failed miserably there but I'm not giving up, I'm hoping for another opportunity and I'm going to try and make the most of that, just like David, learning from the mistakes, trying not to make them again I love that about David. That's what we learn from David. And in this psalm we have lessons from David. And I've got to hurry because my time's nearly finished already. This psalm, you know, people talk about it being acrostic and all sorts of technical things. I'm just telling you this. I see this as a reflective psalm. I think this was written later in David's life. And he's looking back, looking back at his experiences as the king. And he's learnt about life being difficult. It's a difficult life. The journey of life's hard. It's harder for some than others. And your difficulties will be different from my difficulties. It's, it's not easy for anyone. You know what I've learnt this year? Two things. James Packer. 
casino owner, tons of money. He has pull with the government. People, you know, do all sorts of things for him. But his life's just as hard as mine. Mental health issues. He can't find a significant person to share his life with. That's what we, we've been allowed to see. Goodness knows what else, other problems he has. And ladies, what about Meghan Markle? Oh, talk about marrying Prince Charming. Oh, I'm told that Harry's charming. You know, you know, she's a, she's a prince. She's going to be a prince, a queen, a princess. Yes, she's going to be a princess. And 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 you know, she lives in a palace. They told us how many changes of clothes that she had while she was here in Australia. It's 25 different outfits, or whatever. You know, people waiting on her. You know. But her life's not easy either, is it? There's a woman who seemingly is very blessed, has everything going for her, can't get on with her siblings or her father. We're not sure about her mum. And already people are starting to question her character. That's just what we know and what we see. So you can see it doesn't matter what sort of life you live. It's going to be difficult. And even as the king of Israel, God's chosen king, the journey of life is difficult. And you can only be successful on that journey if you look to someone who can help you through that journey, along that journey. Look up to someone, and that's what David gives us in those first couple of verses. He looks up to God because he knows that it's God who can help him from taking the wrong turn for making the wrong decision, for seeking out the wrong path. You know, as a young person, as a young man, I used to live my life the Frank Sinatra way. Yeah? You remember Frank? I did it my way. As you become a bit older and more mature and a touch wiser, you discover that's not wise at all. And I turned a big birthday this year and I've learnt that God's way while it may not be the way I prefer, it is the best way. It really is. Take it from me. And I love the fact that David here talks about the fact that he has enemies. Have a look at what he says in verse 2. He's surrounded by them. In verse 19 he says he, he's hated by them. They lay traps or snares for him and, and they, want, they want him to fail and, and, and to be ashamed of who he is and who he's put his trust and faith in. And he's had enemies all the way, all the way through his life, even as a little shepherd boy. Remember, he talks about the natural enemies, you know, the bear and the lion. But I think he handled them probably better than the enemies he had in his own family and in the enemies that he had in, his, in the society, in his country and in the palace and even from the enemies from within himself. How do our enemies do this to us? David had enemies. You and I have enemies. We really do. An enemy is a person who who feels hatred for you, who fosters harmful design against you, or engages in antagonistic activities against you. He's an adversary. Someone seeking to do you harm. How does that look for you and me? 
Our, our, our faith is constantly being challenged, isn't it? And it's being challenged in an antagonistic way. Atheists. Atheists. They attack us. They attack me for my faith. I don't go around attacking atheists. I don't provoke them, but they're so antagonistic. I had someone ring me up during last week talking about how they were trying to share the gospel and the attacks that they were getting, the viciousness of them, the words that they were saying, the hurt that this person felt. Have you ever noticed that you can, you can, you, you're accepted for all sorts of things in this society. You, you could be all sorts of, you can identify as a dog and you're accepted. And there's a space made for you. But if you want to sing Christmas carols at your nursery, at your kindergarten, ooh. if you want to hand out Christmas cards at the local school, they don't accommodate us, brothers and sisters. They're hounding us. We have enemies. We really do. And the political climate, it's anti-God. It really is. Anti-His laws. And I just need to move on. I'll just leave that bit. David was conscious of his sin. I love that. I love that, the fact that he was conscious of his sin. You know, you know he, he knew he was a sinner and he tried to hide it. And you'll read of, of a prophet called Nathan... When David thought, got away with it. Twelve months has gone by. No one's said anything. No one's noticed. No one's done anything. Got away with it. Nathan comes up and he says, you're the man. You're the sinner in the story. See, David knew what the right thing was to do. And he says that his sin was great. He recognised that. And, you know, in Psalm 51, he talks to God and he pleads with God to create in him a new heart. What about your consciousness of sin and mine? You know the little story that the Lord... That's not a story. The event of the Lord washing the disciples' feet. We know that. We, We talked about it earlier in the year. That's what it's talking about. Brothers and sisters... We're just not walking through a dusty road and our feet are getting dirty. Our society is evil. It's polluted. And we're becoming desensitised to what's right and wrong. We're living in the days that it describes in Romans where we're calling wrong Right and right, wrong. We're legislating laws to make us feel as if we're doing the right thing. It's not right. And David looks back and he recognises the the three things that got him into trouble. In verses 6 and 7 he talks about pride and being disobedient and being selfish. And David had learned from his mistakes. What about you and me? Are we learning from our mistakes? Are we, are we constantly doing the same things over and over again? The things that are hindering us from growing in our Christian faith, of having better fellowship with one another. Are, are, we, are we making the same mistakes that, that is, is preventing us from being really close and intimate with our Lord and Saviour? 
Because that's what was happening to David. He recognised it and he put it right. But here's what I'd like to focus on this morning. Verse 12. And when we think about all these things, the question is asked, who then is the man or woman that fears the Lord? Who is it? I think when we look at David and, and look at the, the, his, his life and we see what God is trying to teach us through David, I think it is the person who has the same heart as God. And that's what, this, this is what verse 12 says. Who then is the, man, is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. David had an unchangeable belief and faith in a forgiving God. And he sought to love him and, and desired, desired to, to honour him and please him. It didn't succeed every occasion, but that was with David's heart, if we got that. Is God really faithful or do we, do we need to rely on somebody else? Because that's what our lives reflect. Do we just trust God? Do we love God? Do we have the same interests as God? Is, is, our, is our faith really as strong as we claim it to be by the way in which we live? David was quick to forget, to, to confess his sins, but he never forgot them. And he was on, on his guard. And the other part that says in that little verse, in verse 12, is that the person who fears the Lord, that's the person. This is the man or woman that God instructs. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that? He doesn't instruct everybody, but he instructs the person who fears the Lord. It's the humble person in verse 9. Not the arrogant, the self-confident, the proud or boastful. It's the obedient person. That's what David learned in verse 10. Not, not, not the keep your options open or a foot in each camp person. That's not the person that God instructs. It's the penitent person in verse 11, not the defiant, obstinate, I'm going to do it my way sort of Christian. That's not the person that God instructs. And it's the reverent person, not the brash or impertinent. This is the person, the people, the church that God guides and instructs. Do you want that? Do we want that as a church? Do we want God to guide us in the things that we should be doing? The things that we should be involved in? Do we want God to teach us what he wants us to know? We learn, we learn from this psalm, Psalm 25, and we've been learning over the last 10 weeks if we've been paying attention. Through the last 10 weeks in Ephesians, it says in verse, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Not partly, but completely. That's the instructions, brothers and sisters. In verse 17 of chapter 4 it says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles. And he could have put Raph at the end of that. 
That's the instruction. In chapter 5 of Ephesians verse 15, it says there, be very careful how you live. Raph, be very careful how you live. And then he goes on to say in the rest of that verse, and understand what the will of the Lord is. That's the instructions that we're getting, brothers and sisters. And in verse 21 of chapter 5, it says there to submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. So those four things, to be humble, to be obedient, to be penitent, to be reverent, are just as important to David as they are to us and vice versa. There is no difference between David and ourselves. That's why God wrote about David. That's why it's been preserved. That's what's been recorded. That's why we're talking about it. And this is a very important thing. I'm going to finish with this. But God doesn't only guide. Have a look at the last part of that verse. How does He instructs him in the way chosen for him. Have you got that? God has chosen a way for each individual in this room that God intends you and I to go. It may not be the same way as I'm going, but that's what it says. Have a listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Again, I, I'm, you know, I've been challenged by the teaching we've had in this church over the last few weeks. It says there, for we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do the works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can you see that verse tells me that God's chosen stuff for me to do. There may be different stuff that you have to do, but it's been chosen not by the elders or the pastor or the synod, but by God himself. The Lord chose a path for you to journey on. And if you trust him, and if you listen to him, he will, what does it say there? It says he will teach you, show you the way, teach you the path and guide you. I love that. You're not on your own. You don't have to, you don't have to do it your way. Do it the Lord's way. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, listen, listen to this. For it is God who works in you. Not the elders, not me, not Nathan Potts. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his, that's God's, good purpose. Man, I love that. My time's gone. You know, you can finish, you, you can have that little phrase, Lord, what's next? You can say it in exasperation, in frustration, you can be peeved because of the circumstances you face yourself in, or you can be like the Apostle Paul. Lord, what do you want me to do? What attitude are we going to have? Oh, I've been challenged, and you've been challenged. Let us all be found walking in the way chosen for us by the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless.
Thank you, Raf, for sharing the word and thank you for the challenge. Just before everyone goes out, just a verse that came to me is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, everyone. Let's just bow our heads in prayer and we can go out. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the the service.